in San Francisco stopped me on the street. We were walking together. She just stopped me. She said, why are you doing this work? And a different answer came straight from my solar plexus. I'm doing it so that when things fall apart, people won't turn on each other. So the basic move was to uh, keep us from fearing each other. When we get scared, we get mean. And we do things that we wouldn't otherwise do, as we can see around the world. So that's how I understand the work that reconnects and grateful to the mother for inspiring it, to help us face what has to be faced and, and, and when things fall apart, not to turn on each other. That's at least the basic. But then to build a beautiful, life-sustaining culture, yes. So uh, I find that these vows also are means for uh, staying uh, strong, connected, and brave. I wouldn't even mess with them if they didn't. And then, as I was about to say, there are two mudras or gestures uh, uh, that you can find on uh, paintings and carvings uh, of the Lord Buddha that, uh, and each carries a different meaning. You've noticed that this, of this gesture, means teaching. Well, I love this gesture. And this is the Abhaya Mudra, you can try it. Hand flat, palm outwards. And it means fear not. Don't be afraid. When I realized this, that the meaning, this was the meaning of this mudra, I thought of Native Americans, because when I was a little girl, that's what I thought Indians did, that they would greet each other like this and say, how? <laughs> but then I realized they were also saying, fear not. Because they were saying, see, I carry no weapons. So no, no need to fear. And the other mudra is this. Often you see it with the uh, Buddha sitting with his legs tucked up and he doesn't have to lean way over to touch the earth. This is the Bhumishvarsa mudra that when he was about to uh, sit down under the Bodhi tree, he tried everything. He'd been to the best yogic schools. He'd tried everything, mortification of the flesh. It still hadn't answered for him the uh, riddle of suffering. 
And so when he said, I'm going to sit down there under that tree and I'm not going to get up until it is clear to me how, why and how we cause suffering to ourselves and others. And you can imagine then as the wonderful tales develop that Mara, that sort of archetypal force of sin and death, uh, was furious. And he thought this would do him out of a job if people weren't suffering. And so he challenged Gotama. He says, by what do you think? Here first he challenged him. He tried to, he sent ghouls and demonic soldiers at him with weapons, charging him. And did our boy Gotama flinch? No. He sat there. And then he sent to get his lust and his desire, and so he sent whole bevies of undulating, beautiful, dancing girls, boobies bobbing, and right up in his face. And did our boy Gautama flinch? No. He was, so we know what it's like when we sit down and to meditate and all these, so then uh, he was, Mara was so infuriated, he said, by what right do you think that you can solve the problem of suffering? Who gave you the authority to solve that? And what's really interesting and of great relevance to us is that Gautama Siddhartha didn't say anything about himself. He didn't show his curriculum vitae. <laughs> he didn't say, my father was a chief in the Sakya Republic. He didn't. I'm here by the power invested in me by Earth. And that's true for all of us, every single one of us. So that gesture, too is good. So I would like to give you two practices that are wonderful for fear, uh, that, uh, but they'll you have to put down what you're writing on and we're going to stand up. And you're going to be, we're going to be moving a little bit. And we're going to move through the uh, four Brahma Viharas, which I found when I went and worked with the Sarvodia movement in Sri Lanka, they actually use as a training for development officers and community social workers that, to uh, ground them in that. And um, so we will do, uh, I've, uh, in the work that reconnects, we use these uh, for, um, they call them the four abodes of the Buddha. We are, in Buddhism, they're called the four immeasurables, or the four Brahma Viharas. They're loving kindness, compassion, joy in the joy of others, and equanimity. And I want to call your attention to how we're going to do, just a note, 
uh, the difference from the standard, beautiful, uh, exquisite uh, loving kindness that we were experiencing this morning, where we felt our wishes to our desires for the dear one or for ourselves to be happy. I have found it in a dicey time like this that it is easier to uh, reach that, have the experience that metta when I don't try to want that person to be happy. I would find it very hard and did to uh, use a standard uh, metta meditation on George Bush, Dick Cheney, the Koch brothers, what have you. I just don't have it. I'm that undeveloped. I don't have it in me to want them to be happy. I find them so deluded. So what I found, which is so liberating, is that uh, what I can fully do with just tremendous emotional and psychic energy is to wish for their freedom from the causes of suffering. And I can set how much I want them to be free from greed and liberated from hatred and released from uh, delusion and all the sources of suffering. When you really experience that, you are experiencing the loving kindness. And it may be for you, as it has been for me, easier to do. So this is the way we're going to move about now, and you're going to face a different person uh, for each of the four boats. So start moving around first. And now you pause in front of another sister, another woman, and take their, her right hand in yours and take her into your presence. And we need us here. Come on. We need an extra person here. Here's a single person here. And there's another one down there, another single. Good. So just take this person. Uh, this is how we do it in the work that reconnects. Just take their presence into your awareness. This being of earth alive in this moment. And whether you know her or not, you can count on there being gifts and strengths and potentialities in her beyond what she's aware of even. And that you certainly can barely guess at. That there are reaches of intelligence and compassion 
There's patience and endurance and creativity and reserves of wit and wisdom. Patience. Readiness. Smarts. And as you consider in your mind this wealth of gifts that is there in this living being brought to be alive at this critical moment of our planet's history, of our humanity's journey. Think how good it would be for these gifts and powers to be trusted, accessed, and used. Put out there. And when you think of how good that would be, that these gifts be used for the joy and health of our world. Feel how genuinely you desire that this person before you be free from hatred and released from fear and liberated from greed and all the causes of suffering. And when you experience how genuinely you want that, know that what you are experiencing is the Mahametta, the great loving kindness. It is excellent for the healing of our world. So we bow to this one before you and take your leave of her in any way that feels right and then move on. Keep moving, keep moving. And now we'll find our way to the, we're, we're standing with another person, another sister, and we take both her hands in ours. And we're entering the second abode. And as you take in the presence of this woman of our time, this earthling, uh, okay, that's fine. What's three is just fine. You can go wall-eyed looking at each other. Yeah. Or you come here, you can do it with me. Okay. So as you take in the presence of this woman, take her into your awareness, this living, breathing, earthling woman of this moment in our history, this time of crisis and change. 
open to your awareness to all the pain that is in this life, as there is in every other human life. As in every human life, there is our hurts. There are hurts that go a long way back, some of them, that maybe never have been spoken, just carried in the heart where they carved a place that can be open to the pain of our world. As in all human lives, there's sorrow in this one and losses, disappointments, rejection, failure, <coughs> anguish, abuse and torments of self-abuse too, confusion, as in all human lives. And you know, no matter how much you might want to, you cannot take those hurts away. You're not that powerful. But what you can do, what you can do is be ready to be with the pain of another. To be with, when you feel your readiness to be with the pain of another being, such as this right before you, who's real, no figment of your imagination. When you feel that readiness, know that what you are experiencing is the Maha Karuna, the great compassion. It's excellent for the healing of our world. And again you bow and take your leave in any way that feels right. And you move on. And as you do, let me say this, that I am uh, talking a lot at each stop. But the point of it is for you to get it in your bones so that you can, in moving around your life, experience that in a split second. Looking at someone you pass on the street or buying toothpaste across the counter or sitting down to beside on the bus or even a member of your household, your family. You can just call it to mind. And while you are experiencing any of these, there is no room for fear. Absolutely no fear can be present. So now we find ourselves facing a third person. I'm going to step out so you don't have to do it. Okay. You can just sit down here.
Uh, now we're, uh, here's the two singles right there. Yeah. So now let's put our hands together palm to palm at about shoulder height. There's um, uh, uh, right over there, there's one hiding in the corner. <laughs> okay, our time is so short that uh, you will do it the way uh, you would do it if you grew up in Sri Lanka because you know it already. You just look out at the world with it. Okay, so uh, as you take in this being before you. Think how good it would be to work together, to take on a, a project together, maybe. Maybe something big, something that could really make a difference in your community or your town or your time, or plotting and planning together, conspiring. And as you do, begin to collaborate, helping this person discover her strengths and letting her show you your strengths. What it would be like celebrating together the little victories along the way consoling each other over the inevitable setbacks, the bumpy parts, forgiving each other when you mess up, and just being there for and with each other through thick and thin for the sake of the great turning. When you think of how good that would be, know that what you're experiencing is the power in each other's power, the joy in each other's joy, the great synergy, the maha mudita. And so again, you bow and take your leave in any way that feels right to you. <laughs> and you move on. And we come to the last abode, and you find yourself with one other being, and take both hands in yours. And we are entering the fourth abode, the Maha Upeka. And now you let your consciousness drop deeper within you, almost below the level that words can express to where the currents of 
existence interweave your lives through space and time. And you know that you've been on this journey through this web of interconnections for a long time. And that this may not be the first encounter, of course. And you can imagine that we are so interconnected, like nerve cells in the mind of a great being that we could have met before with different faces, that the one before you could have been at another time, another place, your enemy or your lover, your parent or your child. And now you meet again, almost as if by appointment on this brink of time. And you know that out of this web, you cannot fall. That there is no stupidity or cowardice or failure on your part that could ever separate you from this web because the web, you see, is what you are. So rest into that knowing. That is the great peace, the Maha Upeka. And you can let every encounter be a homecoming like this to your true nature. And again you bow. And again you take your leave. So as you take your seats, I want to remind you again that when you are bringing this to mind, and you can do it in a split second, you can even do it looking at the back of somebody's head in the checkout line. <laughs> that no fear can be present. There's another practice that I would do with you if I had time, but it's in the book and I'm going to refer you to it, but talk about it a little bit. And that is uh, how to deal with uh, people who are uh, 
acting on behalf of uh, the um, forces that you see as destroying uh, the web of life. What uh, this, whatever project you undertake, you're going to be running up against people who uh, are going to make it hard for you, who are going to feel that you're threatening them or taking their turf or an enemy of the state or that you should be locked up or that... Uh, and so it's very tempting to, as we engage in the world, to see the people who appear as obstacles for us and they're infuriating and scary uh, as enemies. So this is, it's been very important uh, for us to call to mind that they are not, they are uh, the real enemy. The real enemy, as the Lord Buddha pointed to, is greed, hatred, and delusion. Not flesh and blood, but tendencies and mistakes we all can fall prey to. And in our time, to a terrifying extent, these have become institutionalized. Institutionalized forms of greed hatred, and delusion. So that uh, I suggest you call to mind that uh, the people who are uh, appearing to be your adversaries and, and are playing that role are uh, trapped in or hostage to these uh, organized, institutionalized forms of greed, hatred, and delusion. And that um, in the, uh, in our book, there is uh, a series of Bows that we can do, and I invite you in your local community, in your church, in your sangha, to um, <coughs> just a second. Oh no, yeah, here it is, two oh nine. That there are a series that are. Inspired come from Thich Nhat Hanh's community uh, and uh, designed by, uh, called Bowing to Our Adversaries, and that can get you in touch not only with remembering that these people are uh, trapped in uh, or hostile, enslaved by or hostage to forces that they are in, their, in control of larger forces. Uh, but that they have actually helped you discover 
things about yourself that you're grateful for. So I just could read. And when we do this with a group, everybody bows and you can just hit the ground, a four-point, five-point landing, heads, knees, and head, or full prostrations or the what. But you can just say, listen, you who destroy the natural world for profit, you show me how much I respect and honor our abundant planet home, and so I bow to you in gratitude and touch the earth. Another bow, you bring forth in me, you adversaries, help me realize how much I love. You can see, you can see that these adversaries can be the catalysts for your discovering your courage, your love, your creativity. It's so beautiful because to stay stuck in hatred and resentment is so boring. So just that. So that's, I just want to call your, that's wonderful, wonderful. That's in the uh, old book as well, right? What? That's in the old edition of that as well, yeah? Uh, no, the old one, uh, I don't think had it because I had to, we had to, I had it on my website. Okay. But you go look. You know, my memory is, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just want to say two other things that I was going to share with you that I promised. One was the elm dance. Uh, no, sorry, another time. Because it's just, it doesn't make sense to do it without telling the story. And then you will remember that I said we were going to do a role play around talking with people out in the world about our uh, concerns and our hopes. So that is in this book also. And if you don't have this book, most of it is on the practice session online in um, workthatreconnects.org. And when you're calling it up, drop the the. It's just work that reconnects and you'll find that. So that's, um, I'll just give you the name of it because I was, didn't do it with you. But see, uh, what has been a wonderful way for this work to spread is people in communities of practice, they have been getting together and meeting and taking turns uh, leading a practice for each other. Oh, it's page one. Yeah, communicating our concerns and hopes. Okay. I've been hurrying. And now I find that five minutes. I can have a question or a comment. Um, the exercise we just did about fear is—that's is that called. That's in the book. We call it the milling. Okay. We also call it the bodhisattva walk. In your book, do you talk about how to tell children and? young adults about the great turning and about the industrial growth society and what's appropriate to an extent 
You have to, uh, it's just one chapter. You know, I'd love uh, a whole book to be put out for children on this, and there are a lot of people doing it, but for this book, we just. So, uh, go to, yeah? doing this work in the corporate sector, and I was just curious about... Well, this... Uh, oh, there are quite a few people who do, and uh, uh, an international meeting that we had in uh, England uh, when I was last there, uh, they raised the question, they got quite heated about it. They said, how can you do this work in uh, for corporations and so then well that's a good question you know I uh, how are people in corporate we we're gonna need the people we're gonna need them and you know what I think that um, I will just answer that because Hold the phone just a minute. Oh, here it is, 71. And bringing the work that reconnects into publicly traded corporations, because that's what we're talking about, where they're driven by the uh, profit above all. Let us be clear that it threatens their operating codes. Duh. <laughs> In these ways, you will love hearing it. One, so three ways it threatens the corporate. It helps people to tell the truth about what they see, know, and feel is happening to their world. It opens feedback channels and legitimizes questions of conscience. Two, it expands one's sense of connectedness with the web of life. It breaks through denial and apathy and opens hearts and minds to worldviews beyond business as usual. Three, it helps build trust, solidarity, and common vision among participants, contrary to the isolation and obedience fostered by corporations and corporate-controlled government. So it's challenging, and we raise how do we, how can we further foster connections and gain entry without losing sight of some basic understandings, and uh, because it can be quite heady to go into oh, Monsanto's invited me to come to a workshop, you see, and you can feel so excited about it that you don't realize that you might be being co-opted. You don't know. So maybe you do know. So that there are questions here. Okay. Another question? Yeah. I didn't quite hear that. You mentioned that the, the Great Mother arose 500 years after the Buddha and with her special teachings. And I'm wondering 
what in the world around her and what was happening in Buddhism. I think it was, uh, if you read, um, if you read both of the, or one of the two chapters in my books, either of the called Mother of All Buddhas, the one in World is Love or World is Self, or the one in my memoir, it makes it clear. There was a lot of the, um, uh, particularly the monastics, were viewing, because it's, the Buddha taught that there isn't uh, a self. Actually, he didn't say there was no self. It's just that he couldn't find one. And, <laughs> and that instead, and that's what is, every religion is struggling with what to do with this self. You know, you can punish it or improve it or um, mortify it or transform it, but it's so demanding, this I, 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 I want, I want, I want. And so uh, the Buddha simply said, oh, just see through it. It's not real. And so, but, and he said, you, if you look, you can see it's made up of these little experiences, little units of experience. And these were called dharmas with a small d. And so then, in the, particularly in the Abhidharma, which was a later uh, volume of scriptures that was very analytical and didn't, uh, were the scholastic, uh, they categorized different kinds of dharmas. And uh, there were different qualities and categories and this and that. And so they were seeing all these things that could prove that there was no self that the self was empty, were made up of all these things. And it got a very analytic mind and, uh, and quite an opportunity to display one's learning uh, as to what was happening. So that's my take on it. Uh, because I also found reading the, the scriptures that they were tedious. And sort of, well, huh, okay. So, um, so in comes the mother of all Buddhas saying, uh, hey guys, uh, the self is empty, but so are the thoughts about the self. <laughs> so are the dharmas. And so she just turned it upside down and it was, a, and it was kind of humorous. And it was charming, and it was, must have been very irritating to <laughs> the learned monks. But this was, so that's what that question was. I think it came in response to this hyper-scholastic uh, candidate. And I, I must have been gathering, you know, wait before, quite a while before the scripture appeared. No, uh, we have, uh, because what we last time were calling study action groups, this time I'm th recognizing them as communities of practice. And that um, last year's study action groups were great, but some of them I heard wanted very much <laughs> 
which very focused on needing to find a project on which everybody agreed. What I've been feel today is kind of, that's fine to do a project is very cementing and very uh, informative, but uh, in such a uh, shaky situation as we are heading into economically and politically and uh, ecologically, that we want to feel uh, have a group that uh, steadies us and helps us, so it's hence this work around a few practices that uh, help us take care of each other. And I was comparing them to what we're learning about the early Sangha hmm. um, at the time uh, of the Buddha. Hmm. Beautiful. So this is, are you all up for that? Yeah. 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 Okay, well, go to. Well, we ended up calling our group a practice action group. Oh. Um, and, you know, every group can find where the thrust is and where the pull is. That you, It's not either or. You can get together and sit. You can do these practices. You can hold each other in the grief and the joy. And you can work on a project together, you know, and that and that sounds crazy, but it's it's doable. So we're, what we're going to do now is help you um, split into groups that are um, geographical. Even though we know that naturally in this room there may have already been um, connections, you know that this this I've met these two women working on curriculum. That might be your little. Um, practice action group or, or this group that met today you know about the support of the video that might there might be so much passion there that you know that I'm going to go home and plug in that that just plugged me in and I want to know those women so of course we're not going to take the time to identify every incredible set of, of projects and interests here but we are hoping, really hoping, that you will, before you leave this place, if you've made connections with someone, or you, you know, in your small group, or you thought, wow, I love what that person is working on, make sure, don't leave here without her name and her contact info. And, and really feel free when you go home to send out, you know, a thing, hello, it's me. You know, am I crazy, or did we just <laughs> did we just meet Prajnaparamita? You know, <laughs> so um, the the Buddha said, take take refuge in the sangha, and that was no joke. There was only three refuges: take refuge in the Buddha, which is in our case Prajnaparamita, Gaya. Take refuge in the Dharma. That's the, all this truth, this teaching that we're being exposed to, and take refuge really lean into, as she said, learn to connect with and be supported by and support a community. And that piece, how much we in our culture need to learn about community cannot be overstated. And some of you are probably even thinking, oh God, I can't be in a group, it's too, you know, it's so important that we learn how to connect. Sounds so simple. All over the world, people know how to do this simple thing, but we know how to do this thing, which aren't necessarily separate. So, um, 
In this next 45 minutes, by the time we break, some of you may, may say, oh, I want to try that. I want to just give it a try. I want to taste it. I want to see who's in that geographic area. And some of you may say, I already have a, a sangha. I already have a group. I already have a project. Or I already found my people here. And I'm going to take this 45 minutes. I'm going to walk in the garden. Or I'm going to meditate. You're, you're free to. So there's options here. Those of you that want to just see who's in your geographic area, great. Those who want to keep with your practice, that's fine. So, um, when, we, when we go into the groups, which will be in a few minutes, I hope if you have paper and pen, take some. So at least a few of you show up there with some paper and pen. We, we want that. And we want you to send that paper around and um, make sure everybody puts their name and their contact info on it. And uh, then we want someone in that group to volunteer to take that paper. It's a precious thing. It's a connection to Sangha. And take it home, or, or before you get home, enter it and send it to everybody in your group. So suddenly everybody has that little unit some people put themselves into Google Groups, all kind of other ways of connecting. But first, we have to get that first step. Um, we're going to recommend that once you get into your location, your geographic group and your location, that the first, you sit in your circle, and the first thing you do is go around, and everyone says her name, says where you live. You know, I'm so-and-so, I live in Seattle, whatever. And then just one or two sentences. Really, the first go-round is so brief. Just It could be why I want to try this, or what I'm scared about trying this, or how I'm yearning for a, a practice action group, or um, how I love them and want to do more, whatever. Or maybe it might be I'm here because I'm, I'm impassioned about this tree planting program, and I want to tell you about it. Whatever, just two sentences. Then, once that's happened, the next go-round, one more short go-round, is to, just to see, is there something that's particularly, that you're particularly passionate about? Something you want to tell the people you want to learn about, um, doing practices together, or, um, you know, there's just, the, the list is endless. But you can go around just to hear the kind of resources and interests and then you have the rest of the time to self-organize and to see what might we want to do together. And in that self-organizing time, what we're hoping is that if you actually live physically near enough, and I know there's an East Bay group who's going to be doing it physically, the rest of you may be doing it as through our beloved internet. Um, but before you leave each other, before dinner at 5.30, if there's an interest, even if only three of you are interested, or two, or sometimes it's 10 or 15, decide, uh, is there someone who will volunteer their home? You don't have to do the date yet. That's a whole thing. But just volunteer their home or volunteer to coordinate the Skype group meeting. Before you leave this meeting, see if there's someone who will take that, because then you've got your, your little... Your stick is planted in the dirt. And then you um, have your list, and the org organizing of that will move forward. 
So, um, just a couple things about being in a leaderless group. Um, <laughs> there's so much value to it, and it's a bigger challenge than the hierarchy. You know, it means you really have to have deep listening. You have to be sensitive and attuned that nobody comes, oh, becomes too dominant. At certain times in a certain kind of group, someone might say, well, actually, I recommend that you might, if you are near, like in the East Bay, and if you are moving from home to home, it's really helpful if at each meeting, one person will volunteer to just hold the container. We start with our vows, then we do a meditation, then we practice, and then we talk about our project, or whatever. But someone just holds the container and looks and says, wow, it's, it's 4.30, it means it's time for us to move on, or I just let's make sure that everyone has equal time talking. Just someone holds the container. And it's good also to have someone who's volunteers to hold the organization of the group, whether it's for a few months or if the person, if it's at their home or if they're setting it up, they're the one who will send the message to everybody saying, don't forget, it's at 4.30 on Thursday or whatever. So a little bit of, of um, leadership in that way. And if, if you end this up saying, well, such and such is such a leader and this thing we've decided to do, she's so good at it, would you for a few months guide us and such? That's fine. But mostly these are leaderless groups, so they take another level of listening and working together and being sure that there's no one filling up too much space. So, um, so what we're going to do is, I think the way we'll do it, we'll start. Please raise your hands if you are in the East Bay. Okay, if you're in the East Bay, and Lydia's in that, and she's going to be part of this too. If you're in the East Bay and would like to meet your neighbors, doesn't mean you have to be in this group and do it forever. It means you're trying, to, trying it on for today. Please go stand. Uh, stay in silence. We're going to do this in silence for a few minutes. Just go stand by that little chair that some priest got all